calling The Dividing Line. Today is the fourth and final part of that series. I'm calling today's message, God with Us. Please say that with me. God with Us. Amen. Well, I want to start by asking you a... An interesting question. Uh, you might think it's a bit of an odd question, but there's a method to the madness. Have you ever thought, as you've looked at a certain animal, I'd like to be that animal for a day? <laughs> Maybe you have. I know that I've thought about that many times, different animals I've looked at. And hey, it'd be kind of fun to be that animal for a day. Interestingly, that's a very common question asked in job interviews. The question by the interviewers goes like this. If you could be any animal for a day, which animal would you choose? Kind of an interesting question. Which animal would you choose? And here are five of the most common answers to that question. How about this animal? Oh, a cute little dog. How many of you would like to be a cute little doggy for a day? Well, maybe some of you don't want to be a, a land animal. Maybe some of you are thinking about another cute animal. How about this guy? Oh, there he is, little flipper. How many of you would like to be a dolphin, be able to do those flips in the air coming out of the water and, and get all that pampering and loving by little kids? Some people want to be a dolphin. Others say, no, that's not for me. I want to be something much bigger. And so some people want to be an elephant, the world's largest land animal. So some want to be an elephant. Others say, no, I kind of like the idea of swinging in the trees. I'd like to be a cute little monkey swinging through the tree branches. And you might say, well, no, a monkey's not for me. I would like to be a bald eagle. I want to fly. So these are five of the most common answers to the question. And we think about this and, oh, it'd be kind of neat to be this animal for a day. But honestly, we have this tendency to romanticize what it would be like to be one of these animals. The truth is, if you like to eat food that actually tastes good and, and food that isn't gross, you wouldn't want to be any of these animals. Because let's look at these animals a little more realistically when it comes to their diet. You start with this cute little dog. Not only does the little guy eat dog food, he also eats all sorts of other crazy stuff. You know, dogs like to eat flies and moths. And little puppies like this like to eat toilet paper, new and used. Gross. <laughs> and these little puppies, they also sometimes eat their own puke. Not great. And so you look at the, the next guy, you look at that dolphin, looks so cute, doesn't it? But they eat raw fish and raw squid and raw octopus. That's nasty. I don't want to eat that stuff. You look at this third one here, you look at the elephant, and at least they're herbivores. But he's eating grass and eating bamboo and eating tree bark all day. That's just too bland of a diet for me. You look at monkeys, and it starts out pretty well. Monkeys like to eat fruit and vegetables and nuts. You say, well, that doesn't sound so bad. But monkeys also like to eat bugs and other animals' brains. That's pretty nasty. Count me out. How about this little one? This bald eagle, wonderful diet, right? They eat all sorts of things, but that diet also includes trash and roadkill. And so when it comes down to it, whether it's a cute dog or a dolphin or an elephant or a monkey or an eagle, I'd like to pet them. I might like to hold them. I might like to take pictures with them, but I don't want to be them, right? 
We don't want to be them. Don't you agree? As a human being, the food you get to eat is so much better than dog food. The bed you get to sleep in is so much better than a monkey's bed. Your house is warmer. Your transportation is faster. And your bathroom, I guarantee you, is a whole lot cleaner. Well, in his book titled Jesus, Pastor Max Lucado comments on how he enjoys when he goes to his office looking through the window and watching the squirrels running up and down the trees with their nuts. But he's honest as he writes these insightful words. I like looking at squirrels, but I've never considered becoming one of them. The squirrel world holds no appeal to me. Who wants to sleep next to a hairy rodent with beady eyes? Give up the Rocky Mountains, bass fishing, weddings, and laughter for a hole in the ground and a diet of dirty nuts? Count me out, but count Jesus in. What a world he left. Our classiest mansion would be a tree trunk to him. Earth's finest cuisine would be walnuts on heaven's table. And the idea of becoming a squirrel with claws and tiny teeth and a furry tail, it's nothing compared to God's becoming an embryo and entering the womb of Mary. Wow. What a thought. Think about that. You and I changing our diet to dog food or tree bark or roadkill is nothing compared to the creator of the universe becoming a little child born in a stable and sleeping in an animal's food trough, a manger. Wow! The creator of the universe. God became man. The creator became the created. The one who could fill the whole universe was placed in an animal's feeding trough in a Bethlehem stable. Wow. There's no other word to describe it. But wow. What an amazing, incredible, remarkable thing. 700 years before Jesus was born, God gave us this wonderful, amazing prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Think about that. God with us. God with us. In the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they pushed God away. That's what sin does. Sin pushes God away. And humans spent the next several thousand years pushing God further and further and further away. So by the time God spoke these prophetic words here in Isaiah 7 verse 14, our sin had created this huge grand canyon that separated us and God. There was no possible way that we'd ever be able to make it back over to God's side. There was no possible way that any of us would ever be able to make it from earth to heaven. So God finally said, enough, enough. We couldn't come to him. So he came to us, Emmanuel, God with us. 
Well, Isaiah 7 verse 14 is one of the most powerful prophecies of Jesus' birth in the whole Old Testament. But it didn't just fall out of the sky and accidentally land here in Isaiah chapter 7. God shared this amazing prophecy at a time when his chosen nation of Judah was under attack and on the verge of being conquered. In verse 1 of Isaiah 7, if you look at it there in your Bible, you'll read that Ahaz, son of Jotham, was king of Judah. If you were to flip back in the Old Testament to 2 Kings chapter 16 and 2 Chronicles chapter 28, you could read a more detailed description of King Ahaz and what he was like and what his reign was like. And you would read these these words in, in both 2 Kings 16 and in 2 Chronicles 28. King Ahaz did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He did not do what was right in God's eyes. King Ahaz made idols and worshipped these idols. He promoted perverted sexual rituals. and In fact, King Ahaz was so depraved and so wicked, he took several of his own sons and threw them in a fire, burning them to death in sacrifice to a false god. King Ahaz was a warped and wicked evil king. He was actually the most evil king that Judah had had in about a hundred years. And God made him pay for it. The nation of Aram attacked Judah and carried off many men and women as POWs. Here in Isaiah 7, we read of what happened next. Jerusalem was under attack. Uh, The king of Aram, up here in the north, King Rezend, uh, joined forces with the king of Israel, King Pekah. As many of you know, uh, in the day that King Ahaz reigned, Israel had been split in two. After King Solomon, King David's son, had died, ten of the twelve tribes of Israel seceded from the union and formed their own nation of Israel. In this chapter, in Isaiah chapter 7, it's referred to as Ephraim. And so Israel is the same of Ephraim. Ephraim joined forces with Aram. King Rezin joined forces with King Pekah. And together their armies marched south to the capital city of Judah, where King Ahaz was and where the prophet Isaiah was. And they marched outside of Jerusalem and were besieging the city. They were laying siege to it, trying to conquer that capital city of Jerusalem. And so as you look at those early verses of Isaiah chapter 7, you read what happens in verse 2. It says, The hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. But God sent his prophet Isaiah to give a very important message to King Ahaz. And the message went like this. Take heed and keep calm and don't be afraid. It's the most common message that God gives when he sends a message to his people, Old or New Testament. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Well, why shouldn't he be afraid? Two enemy armies are right outside his city gates. He says, don't be afraid. And then he goes on to explain why? He explains that in a, a short time frame, just in the next few years, both Israel and Aram are going to be conquered. Well, you fast forward and look at about 12 years or so later, within about 12 years, Israel had been conquered by Assyria that lived up here in the northeast. And Aram, even before that, was conquered by Assyria up there in the northeast. 
And so within about 12 years, both of those nations who had their armies perched outside of the city gates of Jerusalem would be no more. They would be conquered. And so God, knowing that, knowing both the present and the future, says, do not be afraid. And then in verse 9, God says to King Ahaz, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Well, God followed up his prophecy by offering King Ahaz a sign that his prophecy would come true. He says there in that beautiful verse, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he says so beautifully, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, the immediate fulfillment of this prophecy happened in the next chapter. If you go over to chapter 8, you'll see what happens. The prophet Isaiah married a virgin. She was called the prophetess in the early verses of chapter 8. And they come together as husband and wife. She becomes pregnant and nine months later gives birth to a son. And so this son, before he reached the age of 12, both Israel and Aram were conquered. And so the immediate fulfillment of this prophecy was that Isaiah would marry a woman who at present was a virgin, but wouldn't be on their wedding night. And then nine months after that, she would give birth to this son. And during his childhood years, both Aram and Israel would be conquered as a sign that God, in fact, is with us, that God is with the nation of Judah. But the more full interpretation, the more full fulfillment of this prophecy, of course, would come years later, some 700 years later, when Jesus Christ would be born of a literal virgin. She would be a virgin on the day he was born because of the immaculate conception of Jesus. The Holy Spirit would come upon Mary and overshadow her and place that seed in her womb. And nine months later, she would give birth to Jesus Christ, who's literally birthed by Mary, but also by the Holy Spirit. He is the Son of God. So think about this. Jesus was the embodiment of Emmanuel. When Jesus was born, God was literally with us. Now think about this. At the time King Ahaz was given this prophecy about Isaiah's son and given the greater prophecy about the birth of Jesus Christ. All that was on his mind was war. Night and day he thought about it, he talked about it, he worried about it, but God broke through his thoughts that were consumed with war and he told him something completely unexpected. Jesus is coming. Say that with me. Jesus is coming. One more time. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. As many of you know, I like to run. I usually go jogging three times a week, and normally I'm running about three miles on those jogs. And so this last Wednesday, I went on one of my normal three-mile jogs around my neighborhood. But I like to mix things up. I don't like to run the same route every time. So in the last few weeks, I've experimented with a new route. And so I was on this newer route this last Wednesday, going on this three-mile jog. And along that new route, I made a couple wrong turns. 
And so once I realized I'd made a wrong turn, I tried to make some corrections, and I eventually made it back home, uh, not worse for the wear. But then I looked at my GPS on my running app, and I was blown away by what I saw. When I got back home, this is what I saw on my GPS. <laughs> this was the route I had just run. I started down here, and I made my way up and started going through some neighborhoods in the desert, and I had no idea until I finished that run that I was led from the beginning right into the cross. I thought that was so, so cool. Even with the wrong turns, God was leading me in the shape of a cross. Isn't that amazing? And I bet he's doing the same for you. Even when you don't know it. All that was on my mind that morning was running. And oops, I made some wrong turns. Maybe you've got things that are consuming you today and you realize you've made some wrong turns and you pan back and look at it. God all along has been leading you to the cross. I just thought that was so cool. King Ahaz was running headlong into worry and fear and war, but in his mercy, God led him to Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Isn't that just like God? Now, many people wonder, why did God come to earth? Why was Jesus born? Well, those are some great questions, and there are a number of answers to those questions, but I want to give you just three today on Christmas morning. Three reasons why Jesus came. Reason number one, Jesus came to reveal God to us. He came to reveal God to us. John 1.18, John writes, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus himself says to doubting Thomas in John chapter 14, verse 7, If you really knew me, Thomas, you would know my Father as well. Then a couple verses further down, he says to his apostle Philip, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. For thousands of years, people wondered, what is God really like? They had heard what God is like, but they needed to see what God is like. They wanted to experience what God is like. So Jesus showed them what God is like. Jesus shows us what God looks like in the real world. I love the story of the little boy who was on an airplane. Many of you have probably heard in the news about some excess turbulence and flights to Hawaii and Texas in recent weeks. And so this little boy was on the airplane with his mommy, and all of a sudden that plane experienced some turbulence. It was shaking violently, and, and he clenched onto his mom for dear life. And she had raised him to, to know about Christ and to trust in Christ. And so she turned to her little boy and said, why are you worrying so much? Don't you know that Jesus loves you and, and Jesus will protect you? And the little boy's answer was priceless. He said, yeah, I know that, but I want someone with skin on. Isn't that true? Sometimes we just need someone with skin on. Sometimes we just want someone with skin on. Jesus is God with skin on. Amen? He came to reveal God. Jesus is God with skin on. He came to reveal God 
to us. The second reason why Jesus came, Jesus came to set an example for us, showing us how God wants us to live. He came to set an example for us, showing us how God wants us to live. During Jesus' first year of public ministry, he gave his disciples a simple command. He said, follow me. He said that to Peter. He said that to Andrew. He said that to James and John. That was his normal command to his disciples when he wanted them to train to become apostles. He simply said, follow me. And if you fast forward to the end of Jesus' time here on earth, he had already resurrected from the grave on Easter morning. He had been with his disciples for the better part of 40 days, and he was there along the Sea of Galilee. And he meets with Peter and several of the other disciples, and he has a a one-on-one conversation with Peter. And one of the last things Jesus says to Peter before ascending into heaven is, follow me. Peter, you must follow me. He said it to Peter when Peter started to follow him. He said it to Peter before Jesus went back to heaven. Peter, you must follow me. That's Christianity. Christianity boils down to this, trusting, loving, and following Jesus. Jesus came to earth to set an example for us and show us how God wants us to live so we follow Jesus. 1 John 2, verse 6, the Apostle John writes, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. How true that is. And reason number three, the third reason why Jesus came to earth, he came to pay the penalty for our sins so that we might be reconciled to God who loves us more than we could ever imagine. Don't miss that. Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sins so that we might be reconciled to God who loves us more than we could ever, ever imagine. Some verses for you. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Over in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 through 19, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul writes these beautiful words, some of my favorite in the whole Bible. You see at just the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that good? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The ultimate demonstration of God's agape selfless, self-sacrificial, perfect love for you and me. Wow. The third reason why Jesus came to earth was because God so loved the world. Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sins and repair our broken relationship with God who loves us more than life itself. In summary, Jesus came to earth to show us 
what God looks like with skin on. To show us how God wants us to live and to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be restored to our right relationship with God. Aren't you grateful that Jesus came? Amen? Aren't you thankful for Emmanuel, God, with us? All month long here at Impact, we've been looking at some of the great Old Testament Bible passages written hundreds of years before Jesus was born that revealed who Jesus was and what he would come to earth to do. This month we've discovered in Genesis 3 verse 15 and Isaiah 9 verse 6 and Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 and today in Isaiah 7 14 that the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, would be the promised descendant of Eve the crusher of Satan's head, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He would be the Messiah, the anointed prophet who preaches good news to the poor, the anointed priest who binds up the brokenhearted, the anointed king who rescues the prisoners and sets the oppressed free, the one who proclaims the year of Yahweh's favor and the one and only son of a virgin, Emmanuel, God with us. And as we turn to the New Testament and read about Jesus' birth and his life and ministry and death and burial and resurrection and ascension back into heaven. We're given an even fuller description of who Jesus is and what he came to do. As we see there in the New Testament, Jesus is the Son of God and the image of the invisible God. He is the creator of the universe. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the light of the world and the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the King of the Jews, and he is the good shepherd who loves and protects his sheep. Jesus is living water and the bread of life. Whoever drinks and eats of him will never grow hungry or thirsty again. He is the vine that feeds and feeds and nourishes us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, the author and perfecter of our faith, the great high priest, the only mediator between God and man. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He ruled before the world began, and he will rule once this world comes to an end. He has no beginning, and both he and his kingdom will have no end. The truth is, it wouldn't do the animal kingdom much good if I became a bird or if I became became a dog or a dolphin or a monkey or even an elephant. It wouldn't do the animal kingdom a bit of good if I became an animal, but oh, it sure did humanity a whole lot of good that the creator of the universe became a man. Amen? The incarnation did a world of good for you and me. I'm so thankful that Jesus came to earth as Emmanuel God with us. And Jesus is the reason why we celebrate Christmas. So let's give him what he deserves. Some praise and some thanks today. Amen. Let's give him some praise and thanks because we serve an awesome Savior. We serve an awesome Lord. He is the reason why we have hope. He is the reason why we can have peace. He is the reason we can have a relationship with our Creator God. He is the reason that we can have hope even in our final breath before we die because He is the reason that we can be forever in heaven with God. Oh, I'm so thankful. That Jesus Christ came, Emmanuel, God with us, born 
to save the world. One of the most beautiful Christmas songs that describes the amazing, for lack of a better term, awesomeness of Jesus Christ is Mary, Did You Know? Some of you may not know that one of our worship leaders at Impact Christian Church over the past year has been Willie Williams. He was actually our worship pastor, our worship main worship leader between uh, 2005 and 2011. And, and Willie and his wife, Gree, returned to our church about a year and a half ago. And I'm so thankful that we recorded about a year ago Willie leading this song, Mary, Did You Know? Just a little over a week ago, Willie breathed his last and entered eternity. And he had this amazing voice that we will miss so much. He has one of the greatest singing voices I've ever heard in my life. And so I'm so glad we recorded him singing this song. And here at the end of this service, we wanted you to enjoy Willie leading this beautiful song, Mary, Did You Know? As you hear those words, as you listen to the words, think about how amazing Jesus Christ is. So I'll cut to the prayer and then 